Welcome, everybody, to the Word on the Hill with the Lanky Guys. I am Father Peter Messick. And I am Scott Powell. And together, we make a full person. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> Just barely. You know what's really funny is that um, nope. I, I, I know this is absurd to keep bringing up, but people come to me and they're like, <laughs> if, if I was a voting member of this particular community, I would say that the Lank is true. Well, that's good. No, I've got a, I've got a lot of. Uh, although I got to say, because you, Father Peter's out of town this week, so I didn't get lunch, which he usually provides me. So I'm going to get even lankier <laughs> without my normal bacon wrapped meatloaf. Dude, that's what I'm saying. It's it's, the times are hard. We did get a, uh, a a listener sent an email to us, or maybe she put a review on iTunes that says. <laughs> She really liked the podcast, and that was that was great. She's a mom. She goes to mass, and you know it's hard to it's hard to listen to all the readings, which I totally associate with. I, I hear maybe a fifth of mass because my kids are screaming or doing something. Yeah. So she said she really liked the podcast, but she really couldn't stand the name <laughs> and how it's it's it, it was never anything she'd ever dream of clicking on if the Catholic stuff you should know guys hadn't recommended it. Yeah. So. You- what are you you do? know, we made it to the front page of iTunes in the Christianity podcast section. You're kidding me. No, I took a little screenshot. I mean, it was like, because it says new and noteworthy, and we were like really? 45 podcasts to the right. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting up oh, in the we world. We are, man. Life is good. Well, w- I want to say thank you off the bat to the Catholic Stuff You Should Know guys. Absolutely. Father John and Nathan Goble was that the co-host that week. Yep, and and and, and then Joe Doman, all those guys, uh, they gave us a shout out. So if you're coming over from that podcast, welcome. Yeah, and thank you to those guys. And that that if you're not listening to Catholic stuff, you should know that it's an awesome podcast and those guys are a lot of fun and we listen to it all the time. I listen to it every week. So check them out. It's uh Catholic stuff you should know. I think their website is something like catholicstuffpodcast.com. .com edu org. LOL aka LOL <laughs> well, I'm in I'm in Buffalo, New York, because uh, I decided that I, I needed a, a, a vacation and some retreat time. So I figured, you know, Buffalo in February. <laughs> there's nothing like no, it. No, there really isn't not anything like Living it. Living the dream in Buffalo. Oh yeah, man. I mean, there there's like 45 feet of snow. I'm just kidding. Actually, wow. no. There's not. There's there's actually almost no snow. I think global warming warming is working. Is working. It is. I mean, who's? I think it's true. Who's to say that you know we know how what the proper temperature of the world is supposed to be? That's true. I mean, a, li- a little bit. That's true. More water. I mean, water is is like the number one problem. Clean water. I mean, that's the biggest environmental problem on the face of the planet. On the planet. Yeah, that's absolutely. So I'm true. like, hey, let's get a little bit more water. And now it's some coastal towns suffer. And uh, you know, I actually really don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to these things, no. but. Well, that's okay. Do you remember Father? Uh, so, a mutual friend of ours, Father Kevin Augustine. Oh, there's a shout out. I'm, I'm sure I can't imagine him listening to this. But anyway, <laughs> Father Kevin Augustine, guaranteed. Our, our buddy. He remember his theory about global warming? Yeah, the six and ages the, of the church. Yeah, that you can actually look at the times when the Earth warmed, and you can actually line it up with these six ages of the church where there was there was something of a renaissance within Catholic thought and, and the saints, and the earth literally heated up when the church was, um, 
Well, help me articulate this. I mean, it, it's always when the church is coming out of struggle, coming out of trials, and some of the greatest saints emerged, right? Yeah, and uh, uh, Christopher Dawson, who is a Catholic, oh, was that Dawson? Yeah, Catholic historian, kind of breaks down um, I, some thinking uh, with the fathers of the church, and then there's like the new springtime and the flowering of the Catholic I- intellectual life and the Catholic spiritual life corresponds in 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 roughly the same ways when the earth got warmer is when. Uh, people were being faithful and following after the Lord. So actually, it, it's it's kind of an interesting thing to think about. I mean, correlation is not causation, so we have to of course not. we have to be careful as we talk about it. But it could be an interesting idea when maybe when John Paul II talked about a new springtime in the church, he he actually was partly talking literal <laughs> that things are going <laughs> to get a little warmer and start to bud. Interesting. I mean, it's really interesting if you just think about the way that. God works with human beings. I mean, I, I think it's fully possible. I think the jury's probably out, but I think it's fully possible that, you know, human selfishness and human sin actually has, has helped to cause and, or perpetuate some of these things. But couldn't it also be the case that God is going to bring great good and great beauty out of that? And I, I don't know. It's a, it's, it's, a, it's a much bigger mosaic picture, I think, than we give it credit for. I think so too. It's interesting. And when we're in in tune with the Lord, we're I mean, it's like the four harmonies. One of the things that's, mm. that that Scott Powell and myself share and have bonded us for a long time is this thing called the four harmonies. And that's um, in the garden at the beginning of all things, we were in, in total union with God, with ourselves, with our neighbor, and with creation. Yeah. And to this day, I, I think that that's absolutely right. And then sin interrupts those harmonies, and so it causes mm-hmm. dissonance. And and so I was actually I mentioned this this Sunday. If you would have um, come to come to my mass um, in Buffalo, it, no, I was in I was in Denver in Boulder. I mean, oh, we went to the Saturday evening oh. mass. It's the only time in a very long time that we've done that. Yeah. So I, Sorry, so no. I, I was just talking about how maybe that some of the environmental problems that are taking place are actually a lack of grace, that, that, that people are not in, engaging Jesus uh, enough. Well, you know what the Book of Romans says. So this, this, this whole idea that you know, there were these four relationships that worked in harmony with one another, then sin broke them apart. I, I, I'm convinced, this is part of what I'm doing for my doctoral work, is, is that Paul is trying to argue in the book of Romans, that that this is precisely what Jesus Christ has come to fix, and he's come to reconcile that relationship between us and God. And if that's been reconciled, then we can be internally in harmony. We can be in harmony with those around us. And then it's interesting, chapter 8 of Romans actually says, remember that, that great line, it says, all of creation is groaning out in travail, waiting for the revelation of the sons of men. So in other words, creation itself is flipping out because it's waiting for us to actually live out our call as as followers and sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. And so even even the cosmos is is being shaken waiting for us to live that out and and extend God's grace everywhere to to the created world itself, which I think is kind of fascinating. So if if the created world looks like it's flipping out, it probably is. I'm groaning. Stop I'm, it. Stop that. I'm groaning. <laughs> in travail. In travail. You know travail means childbirth, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do now. What happens in Buffalo stays yeah, Oh, in Buffalo. man, you don't want to know, man. It's like that movie Twins, man. <laughs> I don't... Actually, that's an improper reference. Is that with Richard Pryor? No, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny about? DeVito. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. Our listening audience is groaning in travail waiting for us know, to get to the readings. I know, waiting for the revelation of 
something interesting. <laughs> Good. Well, let's get, let's get to it. Let's do this. So we're back to Isaiah this week. Isaiah and Uzziah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Isaiah and Uzziah. So Isaiah, this is actually my one of my favorite scenes from the whole Bible. And we've actually talked about this scene in uh, the podcast in, in other contexts. But this is the famous scene of Isaiah's calling. So it, it begins in Isaiah chapter 6. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died. And of course, all of our listeners know that that was in 742 B.C., which we all are familiar <laughs> with. So in 742 B.C., when in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a high and lofty throne with the train of his garment filling the temple. Seraphim were stationed above. So here's Isaiah who is living in this time, and, and context actually does matter. So 742 was a pretty dark time for the people of Israel. It's only um, a couple more hundred years before Jerusalem is going to be wiped out by the invading Babylonians. And the scriptures are clear. It's because of their sin. It's because they've turned their backs on God's and on God and, and sin wreaks havoc, like we just talked about. Sin in our lives actually causes destruction. That's just what sin does. Um, and so it's a pretty dark time. And so here's Isaiah, who's one of the only faithful people in his time, and he's caught up in the throne room of God. And uh, I'm, I'm actually teaching a little course here in Boulder um, on the book of Revelation. And there's an almost identical scene going on in what John sees in the book of Reve- Revelation when he's caught up to the Lord's throne room. And he sees the angels and the saints crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, which is precisely what we say in Mass, right? Yeah. Why? Because we believe we're actually entering into this heavenly liturgy with the angels and the, and the saints. So here's Isaiah. He's caught up in the in the throne room. He's seeing all this incredible stuff. And he says, it's in the, the third paragraph down, he says, Then I said, Woe is me. I'm doomed, for I'm a man of unclean lips, living among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And I, I really love that statement, because we know that Isaiah is really literally one of the only faithful people of his time. He's the only righteous person, which is probably why God has called him up. But he has this interesting statement. He says, woe is me, I'm doomed, for I am a man of unclean lips living among a people of unclean well, lips. And had, if you know the story of yeah, Isaiah... Yeah. No, keep, keep, keep going. Well, I was just going to say, he, he's he's really not. Everything we know about him, he's not that unclean. He's, he's the cleanest among them. But he associates himself, he feels this utter solidarity with the people around him who are living in abject sin and farness from God. And he says, well, I'm not clean because my people are not clean. And I think it's easy as Catholics and as Christians to kind of look at the world and be like, wow, what a rotten mess these people are. Even other people in the church, this church, you know, these people are just rotten. I can't believe these people. And it's what the Pharisees said in the Gospels, right? Thank God I'm not like those people, which is the exact opposite of what Isaiah does. He says, no, no, I'm with them. And it's kind of beautiful. It is. And it's it's actually... uh, Kind of the the uh, part of the mosaic type that, that in fact y- yeah. you have to assume a little bit that uh, that there is a prophetic um, outfit. Uh, I don't know that I, I, I'm struggling for words. Um, I was talking with my brother just about the connections between Isaiah and Moses in how really uh, if you got a if you got a, hmm. a prophet coming out and he's saying yeah I'm pretty sweet I mean like. I was, I was in the throne room. I mean, it's it, it's yeah. like he's actually, t- you know, that would be like going and and you know checking your uh, stock portfolio and your your uh, stock dealer. I don't know what they call those guys. <laughs> Do you know what they call those guys? I can't remember. I don't even know what you're talking yeah, about. You know, like no, no, you're you're stock your stockbroker, right? Yeah, is that yeah, yeah. yeah? You know, like if if your stockbroker came in and he had like a big mohawk and like 
piercings and a, like a no fat chicks t-shirt, you know, you'd, you'd be really worried about what was about to happen with your stockbroker, you know? You, you want him to have his Brooks Brothers suit and like the right dimple in his tie. And you say, okay, this guy actually knows what he's doing. He's talking about the right stuff. Right. And, and that's the same thing that's happening with Isaiah. He's saying, I'm really, I'm taking part of the type of Moses and I'm, and I'm, I'm yeah. actually applying that. I'm, I'm, I'm living out of yeah. this, this same spirit that, that's been inherited. Yeah. And he's identifying himself with his people, like what you're saying. Totally. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, yeah absolutely right. That's exactly what Moses said, wasn't it? Yeah. So there he is. He's in the throne room. He he. And here's what here's what's cool. And this is, this ha- has resonance in the entire rest of the Bible, especially the New Testament. But so he realizes this problem. What's the problem? Well, he has unclean lips. That's how he articulates. Kind of like my niece. So what when, when we um, uh, have chocolate chip cookies? <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. <laughs> oh man, I know. There's it well. like unclean lips, and actually, we all end up people with unclean <laughs> lips at, at that point. We do. I, I had unclean lips all over my shirt last night when I came home from work because my kids had chocolate ice cream. <laughs> man, oh, man. It's it's like whenever I get home from work, it's like a race to get to the bedroom fast enough to change clothes before <laughs> everything's destroyed. <laughs> so I need a raise so I can buy more, more shirts. Deal. Thanks, man. I, I, every, everything goes in Buffalo. You just ask for I what know. you need. And I, I <laughs> Sweet. But th- so there's there's Isaiah. He's he's got this problem, unclean lips, and so what happens? It says one of the seraphim flew to him, holding an ember that he'd taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched it to his mouth. Um, I o- I always have to point out this little joke, which I think is funny. Ser- the word seraphim, it's um it, it's the 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 group of angels that are believed to be closest to the throne of God Himself. But the word seraphim in Hebrew literally means the burning ones. Oh. So I always have to chuckle when one of the burning the ones on fire actually have to use tongs to get the <laughs> charcoal out of the barbecue grill <laughs> but he, I, for whatever reason so he does and he touches it to his lips now now here's what's so significant isaiah has a problem it's unclean lips how does he get cured of that problem well he has to go through at least some amount of suffering right it would hurt to have a charcoal touch to your lips so he actually has to go through kind of a purgation a suffering which actually cleanses him and then God says, see, now it's touched your lips. Your wickedness is removed. Your sin pur- purged. And Isaiah's like, all right, great. <laughs> what, what do you need? What do you, want to, what do you want me to do, God? And he says, who shall I send? Who will go? And he said, here I am. Send me. Because he realizes he's been, he's been cleansed now. And it's cool. All of the readings this week have something to do with the call of somebody, somebody being called to do something. And this is, this is one of the, the key ones of the Old Testament, Isaiah's. But Isaiah's is so significant because it's one of the few that actually shows us the call of God to do something significant in the world usually entails some amount of suffering. That's just how it works. Amen. Mm. Mm. Well, mm-hmm. So mm-hmm, because that's one connection is is the is the call. The other connection that that uh, I'm seeing and that I'm trying to trying to draw out. But we both have connections, mm. which makes means that there's yeah, more yeah, than yeah. one. That makes me happy this week. We are smart. We are smart. But and to me, is taking up the prophetic humility. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, that you're right because that is, that is the case in each of these as well. You're right. Which here I am, Lord, send me, send me. Which, dude, I didn't study the psalm. Did you study the psalm? Um, a little bit. I mean, the, there's the the kind of surface level connection. I mean, in the sight of the angels, I will sing your praises, Lord. Where is Isaiah when this is all happening? He's he's literally in the sight, in the throne room, in the presence of the angels. So it th- there's a there's a pretty um, just uh, literal connection there. Amen. Which is kind of cool. 
I'm trying to study it right now. <laughs> if you could see me, you would see me reading my little commentary on the Psalms, and I nothing's jumping out. But but there is a. It can, I mean, it's putting us in the context. Well, one of the things that I, I've been praying through is is a little like prayer book my dad gave me for uh, for Christmas called True Confessions: Prayers to Heal the Secrets of Your Soul, and uh, and it's really interesting. I think that a lot of times the place that we need healing in our lives is the place where emotion keeps swelling up. Mm. And uh, and the whole thing of the, this prayer book is how do you pray through the emotions that are in your life? So hmm. I, I just give a little a little shout out to that. It has a really cheesy cover with like the, the like the like Jesus holding the, like a photograph of Jesus holding a kid with like clouds in the background. It's it, it, <laughs> nice. I would never pick it up. Period. But man, I, you judge a book by its I cover. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable! Can you believe this about this? Phrase? I do. Well, that's because I—that's because I like design. Okay, I love—I love good graphic design. It, what one of my best friends when I was growing up had this picture of Jesus in his bedroom, mm-hmm. which was—it was the classic like little painting of Jesus playing soccer with these kids. But Jesus is just schooling this one kid, <laughs> <and> just totally, <laughs> like putting a hand out and knocking him out of the way, and he's gonna go for the goal. <laughs> Yeah. So Jesus loves you unless you're unless you're in his unless way. you're in his way and he's gonna <laughs> score. <laughs> that's that's great. No, that's not true. Well yes, it's it's not. Don't send us emails do about you. that. Or or if you do, address them appropriately. <laughs> yeah. But we might school you when you send it to us. We're just gonna live the type. Absolutely. Which we'll pray that Oh yeah, okay. go for it. We're back. We're we're back in First Corinthians, which we're this back. is interesting because the second reading actually Fits in today to what mm-hmm. uh, to what what's happening. It actually is Absolute, in the sequence. which it rarely does. Which yeah, which is cool because it doesn't always do that. It's usually the wild card reading. It is, and then you're like, hey, should I preach on the second reading or the other ones? <laughs> which which <laughs> right. as, as a preacher is is like you you do need an out every once in a while because you look at the gospel and you're like, totally. man, I, I have heard this one like seventy totally. times, and I, I'm like, it's not it's not uh, it's not touching me. Totally. But this week, what are you seeing? What, what, what's what's going on? Well, I mean, so what, what what's the reading? So this coming this is coming from the end of First Corinthians, and there I think there's a lot of context if you put it put it together. What what Saint Paul is doing here at the very end of I think Corinthians is only sixteen chapters, so we're at the very end, and First Corinthians is spent. So historically, and what what scholars really believe, you you can pick this up from the text that what the book that we call First Corinthians is actually just one in a series of ongoing correspondence that Paul had with the church in Corinth. So it's probably not the first letter that they've written back and forth. But what you pick up in 1 Corinthians is that the church in Corinth has a whole lot of problems, and they're struggling with a lot of stuff. And Paul really is pretty harsh on them. And he, he, you know, he calls for somebody to get excommunicated at one point. He calls them foolish. He calls them little children. He calls them unwise. I mean, he's really, he needs to, like a good father, he needs to lay down the law. And it's interesting, if you go then and read 2 Corinthians, the whole book of 2 Corinthians is Paul on the defensive, because the people clearly didn't like what he had to say in 1 Corinthians. And so he's defending himself for the whole of 2 Corinthians, which is funny. But here at the end, I think he, he knows what's going on. So he's kind of laid the letter, he's laid the law down. And now at the very end of the book, he gives kind of a, a simplified version of his, of his own testimony and saying, this is my calling. And that's, of course, how it ties in with Isaiah. I was called by God. And, and like you said, I mean, there's great humility in what he says. 
but this is the calling that I received. And, and you get the sense that he knows that what he's just said to them and the whole letter might not be very well received because they're kind of acting like a bunch of schmucks in Corinth. And he knows that there's probably going to be suffering that's going to come along with that. But he's saying here at the end of the book, you know what? I was called nonetheless. Maybe I wasn't, you know, the ideal guy. Maybe I have all these problems. Maybe you think I'm a jerk, but Christ called me nonetheless. Despite the suffering, I know I'm going to endure. Yeah, and... That's what I see. I do, I, me too. I, I'm seeing that. And then also what's interesting is is that there's some real humanity. It's like the, the fact is, is that he understood how much of a, of a, a jerk he's been, but he's trying to <laughs> yeah. work it out at the same time. He says, I am going to toil harder than all of them, but it's God's yeah. work. It, it's almost like he, he's really working out his salvation in fear and trembling. Be- yeah, absolutely. He, he's trying to back up the... F- and he's got good reason to do that. I mean, this is the guy that was killing all the Christians. Absolutely. And so he kind of need, needs to do that for himself, but also because they need, some, they need to like learn how to trust him. And so he's going he's gonna to write all the letters. He's going to... I imagine writing a letter was not as easy as it is for us today. I mean, I'm writing you know 20 to 40 emails a day. Right. Whereas Paul, I mean, to write a letter and to make sure that it's copied, to get a scribe, to get all the, you know, all of the, they didn't even have paper developed back then. It was all oh, it, papyrus. The and process, parchment. actually, Cicero, do you remember Cicero? Cicero wrote about the process of letter writing in the first century, and he gives actually a pretty involved, you would love it. You, you, you would dig stuff like this, but he gives a pretty involved description of, of what went into it. And it, writing this much text of what Paul wrote here. Yeah which is, you know, less than a chapter, probably would have taken about a day and a half. Whoa. As far as, you know, the process of letting the ink dry and getting the papyrus to sit right, and, you know, all these different things that actually went into it. This is, I mean, it was it was an art. You know, we talk nowadays about shooting off an email. You never, you never shot off a letter in the ancient world, which is really important to remember because that means if it takes so long and it's so hard to write a letter, every word that Paul writes in these letters matters. Every single thing counts because you don't just do anything flippantly. Yeah. So that's you a big have to deal. compose this, so... He persecuted the church of God, but he is he is who he is by the grace of God. And my you know I, my grandmother was quoting some saint. And she calls him that foot stamper. <laughs> what is that? Mean? I don't know that, that, that he's always like you know like he's like trying to like convince people of things. He's always arguing with somebody. That's just yeah. Paul? Oh, <laughs> he's always kind of he's always kind of pushing the boundaries. He's trying to get stuff no, that's done, true. man. That's true. It's. That's yeah, definitely true. Which, but so, just like you, just like me, I'm not that guy, man. I, I'm like way more no, chilled out. Like, yeah, you are. I'm just kidding. Well, thanks. I got to tell you, so Father Peter and I, be, to make all of the technology work to do this <laughs> in different parts of the country, we're both wearing two sets of of earphones, <laughs> which is just getting really painful. Yeah, it, it, it definitely hurts a little bit. It's you know, killing me. Yeah, I, oh. I got one. I got one ear. Like, yeah. It's, the gospel hurts. That's the point. Yeah. Hey, man, they needed to touch the lips back then. This time, it's touching the ears. I, We're men of unclean ears. <laughs> I've, I. That's because I listened to you. I mean, oh, sorry. Oh man, dude, I was I was expecting you to come back to like to like fight me on that and be like, sorry, I was trying to adjust my really painful ear. <laughs> <laughs> that's what you're saying. Oh, uh, that's yeah. Uh, well, this is what happened. It sucked. It sucked all the humor out of me. Yeah, dude, that's what suffering does sometimes. It does. There's nothing funny about two sets of earphones on your head. No, man. It, that unless you're somebody looking at us. Yeah. It, 
So Father Peter, he he forced me to turn off the Skype video because he's in a room <laughs> surrounded by posters of Justin Bieber and One uh, Direction and like One Direction. Neil and Liam and and a bunch of Disney princesses. Oh oh yeah, dude, it's which is it's, wonderful. It's on. I mean, Niall, dude. <laughs> And it's a nice little collage that your niece made. I mean, it's not, they're not flippantly put up there. It's, she put some thought into how those are going to be arranged. Oh, yeah, man. It, it, it's on. Okay. Let's, we're in the gospel. The gospel. And we're, I, I think we're almost directly continuing on from where we were last time. We ended in chapter four of Luke last time. Now we're in chapter five, which is moving on. So, so Jesus last week, remember, he was, uh, well, two weeks ago, he, he pronounced this jubilee year in which only a king could do. So he's kind of setting himself as king. Then last year, he wasn't... Uh, what was last week? Not last year, last week. He was kind of rejected, wasn't he? The people didn't like what he had to say. I was try- I'm trying to remember the gospel Yeah, yeah, yeah. Week. Jesus went ninja on them because you know that I'm always tr- trying to figure out when Jesus... Because uh, Jesus is a ninja, but that's just a whole other thing. Right. So, he, yeah, he said, hey, this happened. And then he's talking about Elijah and Elisha, the widow of Zarephath. Oh, yeah, 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 right. They throw right. him off and the hill off. and then he just goes ninja, passes through the midst of him. I mean, some people <laughs> think that he just kind of like disappeared and went ghost-like, like like the resurrection oh. style, but he wasn't resurrected. So, I mean, like he could do the quantum mechanics and like pass through people. I think that he just was like, I think he was just slippery. I just think he had the ninja moves and then they were like, ah, I Absolutely. can't hold on to him. And they were, and he just like passes through. I mean, I think he might have even done like a tuck and roll at some point. He might have jumped up and like done some supernatural kung fu. It was probably pretty chaotic though, too. It, that's exactly, and, and he took advantage of it and went, bah! Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I can get behind that. So now everybody's chilled out and listening to him, but he's, and he's on the Lake of Gennesaret. So how, I mean, I would say. Which is actually the Sea of Galilee. Absolutely. And this part where we're talking, I went in, when I went to the Holy Land, there was a, a moment, and I forget the name of the cave, but there's a cave right above the Lake of Gennesaret where, um, hmm. It's just above where a um, a water outlet that's warmed by the rocks shoots into the Sea of Galilee. And so there would be a tendency for the fishermen at this particular location to wash their nets at the end of the night because it's warm water oh. rather than, really? yeah, than, than the that's cold water cool. of the lake the whole time. But there's this cave that overlooks this warm water inlet into the Sea of Galilee that it would be very easy for Jesus to go pray there because it's very private, very quiet, but it overwatches the sea. So he probably spent... Wow, some, that's a cool image. Yeah, spent some time watching these fishermen come in and out. He knew who they were. He was paying attention. Wow. And so he, there's like this level of intentionality and decision. And so, um, so uh, people would probably gather there because it was probably a, a nice place to actually swim because it's warm rather than the sure. rest of the lake, which is a little bit colder. Sure. Wow, that's a really cool image. Yeah. And so so th- then the the crowd, so Jesus probably came back and the crowds were there and uh and he saw them and he got into their boats, which I always love this move. I mean, like you can kind of, <laughs> he just gets in. He's like, "Hey guys, how's it going?" And they're like, "Hey." They're like, "Who's who's the dude in the <laughs> boat, man?" They're like, I, "I don't know. Just let him just let him do it. It's okay." Could have been another ninja move. Well, dude, that was the Jedi mind trick. So at the same time that he's a ninja, he is a Jedi too. He he is he because all cultures of all time have been preparing for Jesus. So that's true. Yeah, so, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so there we are. Jesus finds his way onto their boat. <laughs> onto their boat. <laughs> so he's sitting there, and the 
here's what's kind of fascinating. The fact that he just shows up on their boat and he says, put, you know, we've been fishing all night. We didn't catch anything. And he's like, well, just put your nets over there. And the fact that they actually do it. Right. I mean, here's some guy they've never potentially never seen before. I guess we're not sure about that. But he just shows up in the boat and he tells them to put their nets down. They're probably tired. They're probably annoyed. They're probably, you know, irritable because it's been a long night with nothing. And they actually listen to him, which is tells you that, that, that there, there is. I mean, one of the things the gospel writers are always trying to show you is that there's actually authority to the things that Jesus says, whether it's conscious or, or unconscious. Mm. He's actually authoritative in his words. Yeah, I would. I mean, somebody looks at you and they got the right vibe. You you pretty much follow what they ask. Yeah, so they do it. They put the nets down. This is this famous scene, right? And they bring it up, and the nets were actually tearing open. They were, it was so profound, which. I mean, you know, this is what the fathers and the saints all said, that, you know, when when you listen to God's grace, when you accept the call to do what God's asking you to do, I mean, he it, it's an overwhelming catch. He didn't just give them fish. He didn't even just fill their nets. He overwhelmed their nets. You know, it's like the uh, it's like when he when he multiplies the loaves and the fishes later on in the Gospels. It's not like there's just a couple left over. There are twelve stinking baskets left over. I mean, there's a huge <laughs> abundance. I mean, think of the 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 flood in Noah's time. Did it have to rain for forty stinking days to flood the world? Probably not. Oh. But it's an overabundance. That's just how God. God works. He wants to overflow things on us. So I think it's kind of a neat scene. Yeah. Their nets can't even take it. Man, that that's how I feel in all of ministry. Mm. <laughs> if you're in ministry, then you know exactly this feeling. You're like, man, there's a lot to do. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's an overabundance. Totally. You're like, I'm responsible. Yesterday was one of those was days. Was it one of those days for you? Oh, man. It was awesome. It was good, but it was great. At the end of the day, I was like, man. I mean, yesterday was the day that took me to 11.30. I finally got home, but it was it was awesome. It was amazing. Man, that's, that's the blessing. That's awesome. And yeah. there's a great number of yeah. fish, and and no wonder your shirt shirt was, like, tearing off, man, because it just makes you, like, <laughs> buff in gray, dude. I know. I'm too lanky for my shirt to tear off. I'm too lanky for my shirt too lanky for my <laughs> shirt. Too lanky. I don't even I'm sorry. that. Well I, done. No, that's good. That can be our new theme hey. song. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> okay. So they're there. So they've got the fish. And and Simon Peter, it's, Luke is kind of giving you a signal. So remember, Jesus hasn't changed his name to Peter yet, but Luke is, is clarifying to you who this actually is. It's not just any Simon. It's the Simon who's going to be called Peter later on. So he's not Peter yet, but Luke's making it clear. But he falls at the feet of Jesus. He said, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, which is amazingly similar to what Isaiah says in the throne room of God, doesn't it? Yes. So here's Isaiah, who's caught up face-to-face with God, who basically says, let me depart. I'm too sinful to be here. Here's Peter face-to-face with God at the same time, not in a a beautiful throne room, but on a boat surrounded by a bunch of smelly fish. But it's really the same reality. And he has the same reaction because he sees the same thing that that Isaiah saw. Which... And it's this beautiful scene, so he realizes his humility. and Yeah, and points us into the liturgy, saying that if yeah. you're, the invitation into the throne room is bizarrely accessible now. Yeah. We actually yeah. get to encounter that reality, and he's in... You can go every day if you want absolutely. to. Absolutely, and that's where, um, where we see an image of the coal touching Isaiah's lips as the Eucharist touching ours. The fathers say absolutely. this, and, and that... 
It just hurts less. It's, thanks be to God. I mean, if we knew, I mean, it's, it's, I'm really thankful that the Lord has given us a little bit of concealment on that. And I, you know, I always wonder with the scene with Peter and Simon Peter, could it, could he have come to the? Would we have the same scene if he hadn't gone through this suffering of the previous night, where he suffered under the weight of his failure and not having any fish? You know, it's not a, it's not necessarily a profound suffering. But can you have these realizations without suffering? Can we actually have the eyes to see these things if we don't, you know, struggle a little bit like Isaiah does? I don't think, I don't think you can. Well, this is what I know, is that we have the pattern of Moses. We are seeing that it's ending up lived out by Isaiah, by Paul, who was Saul, by Peter, who was Simon. All these, all these folks who are transformed, who are going from the old man to the new man, who are actually following after the Lord, who Jesus is the new Moses, and that they lived the foreshadowing, and now they are living the reality itself, which is the same invitation that we have. Mm-hmm. So take that. Take that. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I got to say, because guess what? We are now going to be having an abundant harvest, which is noticeable all over the world, which brings us back to is the warming that's taking place in the earth because it's the new springtime of the church. And in fact, what's going to be happening is an abundance of a catch of men. I think, and I sub, I submit to your approval that it is. Well, whether it is or not, it's, it's a wonderful thing to pray and hope for. Amen. Because in a world that's, that's just frankly in just utter despair and suffering from utter hopelessness and mercilessness, we have to hope for something. So what are we faced with? We're faced with the world as it is. We're faced with a warming trend. And so we hope that God's going to bring great, great good out of this and that he already is. You know, we, we have this terrible saying as Christians that we say, well, God, God can bring good out of evil. And I, I've always hated that saying because it always makes me think what we're saying is, well, here's this terrible situation, but you know, maybe if we're lucky, God can swoop in and just fix it all at the end. God just doesn't bring some good out of evil things. God is always in control of it. From the beginning to the end, God is present the entire time. I mean, you know, what's that, the the road to Emmaus, your your favorite passage. Mm -hmm. Jesus says, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's not like, oh, you know, God just came to his sense, oh my gosh, my son's about to be crucified. I better resurrect him or something. You know, it's not like he just swoops into the last minute and brings some good. He's constantly in control of it, no matter what's happening, no matter what's struggling, no matter what trends there there are on the earth, God is still there. He's aware of it and he's guiding it. And we just have to find his rhythms and enter into it. But that's really, I mean, that's Christian hope, isn't it? It is Christian hope. And it is the reality that we face. And that's mm-hmm. where, um, amen. <laughs> <laughs> I, I ain't got nothing more to say because the man has said it. Neither do I. So, coming to you from Boulder, Colorado, and Buffalo, New York. Thanks for listening. And just remember, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So, sin it up. (laughs) No. (laughs) No, no, no. That's a bad... No. (laughs) Children, do not listen to this man. I'm just kidding. So, with that, we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. 
See you next week.